Holy Father, our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank you for another day of life and breath. We thank you that your people have lingered here just a little longer to gain an additional blessing by your word. So, Father, in spite of myself, may you honor their sacrifice. It might be a blessing, not a curse to your people. I ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that mind, heart, and deed be touched by the preaching of your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As a teacher, I'm an authority figure. And as a teacher, you have some power among the students in your class. The power behind my authority is the power to punish. Because I could give detention. Or I could write a referral. Or there is some power behind what I do. And it's very interesting as I further along in Adventist education and one of the things that I've really appreciated about my six years in teaching at Adventist school is that it reveals to me how much I need Jesus in the classroom. Because the greatest mirror is your students. Your students are honest. And so I've discovered that the classroom is a laboratory for my salvation. Seeing my failures, seeing my successes, and seeing how so easily power can corrupt you in misrepresenting Jesus. In fact, there's a famous quote attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but it's not from Abraham Lincoln. It's from a poet named Robert Ingersoll. He says this, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. You see, the issue in the last days is the issue of power and control. Because the institution of church and state will have the power to punish. But the only power, the only authority that could justly punish is God himself. In fact, what does the Bible say that God will do to the institution who seeks power and to weaponize religion? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 14, verse 9. The Bible says this, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. That is some very solemn punishment. And the Bible says that anyone that worship the beast, his image, and receive his mark will receive this punishment, this wrath of God, without mixture. Now, oftentimes we think that this punishment is reserved for people that are worshiping on a certain day. But as I study Bible prophecy, and I study the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, it is deeper than people worshiping on that particular day. Because there is a system, there is a philosophy, there are methodologies of that system that's instituting that day of forced worship, those principles that causes God to punish those that adhere to this system. So we have to determine when we see that if any man worships the beast in his image, who are they worshiping, which is the beast? What does the beast do? And as we study what the beast does, we can understand why God measures such a severe punishment. We may think God is harsh through this text, but as we study Bible prophecy, we realize our God is a just God in punishing in such manner. In fact, notice what the Bible says, what the beast does. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 6. Revelation 13, verse 6, the Bible says this. This is about the beast, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And he was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome him. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. So the characteristics of this beast is this. Number one, blasphemes against God. So you worship the beast. You worship a beast that blasphemes against God. His name and his tabernacle, and all that dwell in heaven. Number two, makes war with the saints, or persecutes God's people. Number two. 
Number three, power was given over him to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. So it blasphemes, number one. Number two, it makes war with God's people. And number three, it gives power and authority over the whole world. So what does blasphemy mean? Blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Blasphemy is to claim to forgive sins, Mark chapter 2, verse 7, and claims to be God. So when you worship the beast, you're worshiping an entity that claims to be God and claims to forgive sins. Another thing about worshiping the beast is this. It's more than a day. You're worshiping a system that persecutes God's people. So what makes the mark of the beast the mark of the beast and worshiping the beast, worshiping the beast, is that you're worshiping a system that claims to be God, claims to forgive sins, and claims and asserts power and authority to persecute God's people. Now, what other beast was found in the book of Revelation that helps this first beast? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 11. The Bible says this, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So a beast disguised as a Christian nation speaks as a dragon. And what does a dragon do? A dragon does this. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. The Bible says this, And when the dragon saw that he had cast into the earth, he, what did he do? So the dragon speaks in persecution. At the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Our actions reflect our heart. So this is a persecuting power. And what else did the dragon do? Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of the seed, which keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So there's beast power that God punishes. Number one, claims to be God. Number two, claims to forgive sins. Number three, makes war against God's people. Number four, exerts power and authority against the nations. Number five, persecutes God's commandment-keeping people that keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. And that's what made the mark of the beast the mark of the beast. It's not only worshiping on the day, you're actually worshiping a system that seeks to destroy God's people. And that's why God is punishing the beast power. It is more than a day. It is the actions based upon that power that causes God to punish that power. So the Bible says that this beast power causes or forces the earth and them that which dwell therein to worship the first beast. So this lamb-like beast causes or forces. So what's connected with the mark of the beast is that of force. People being forced to worship against their will. And what is spiritually abusive about the mark of the beast is this, that if you don't worship the way that I worship, then your basic needs are going to be deprived. And God is not a God of force, but God is a God of love. I can't force you to love me. I can't go to my student and put a gun to his head and say, I'm your favorite teacher. That's force. But if the student, by his own voluntary conclusion, likes me as a teacher, that's by his own choice or conscience. And so this great controversy in these last days is between a power, Satan, that's seeking to compel people by force, and God, who's seeking to win us by love. Is between force and love that this great controversy is hinged on. And what does the lamb-like beast cause people to worship? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 15. The Bible says this, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And so what causes this mark of the beast to be the mark of the beast is a death decree saying, if you don't worship the way I do, we will kill you. That is spiritual abuse. And so notice what inspiration says in Great Controversy, page 442, paragraph 1, about speaking as a dragon. 
The prediction that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all the power of the first beast plainly foretells a development of the spirit of intolerance and persecution that was manifested by the nations represented by the dragon and leper-like beast. And the statement indicates that the authority of this nation is to be exercised in enforcing some observance which shall be an act of homage to the papacy. So speaking as a dragon is being intolerant and being a persecuting power. And so the lamb-like beast will exercise all the power of the first beast before him and causes or forces the earth and them that which dwell therein worship the first beast whose deadly beast is healed. In other words, it'll have the exact same principles of the first beast. And what did the first beast have? The principles of the merger of church and state. To force people to worship according to my way. And if you don't worship my way, we will persecute you, we will deprive you of your basic needs, and we will ultimately kill you. That's what happened for 1,260 years. And so by threat of death, they must worship the beast. And this is the sin of spiritual abuse. And so what will happen to those who do not worship the beast? Notice the words of Jesus. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 9. The Bible says this. And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So in other words, here are the principles. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. In other words, what does that mean to be afflict? To abuse. It be an abuse of power. Then they shall kill you, deprive you of your life. And you shall be hated of all nations in my name's sake. In other words, you'll be made an outcast. You'll be made as an outliner. You'll be seen as someone that is not conforming to the majority. Using religious power, weaponizing religion as a way, say, you don't believe the way we do, therefore you're an outcast. You're the reason why we're having natural disasters. You're the reason why our nation is not great again. You're the reason why we are not being the prosperous nation that we are because you are the reason because you don't worship the way we do. You are at fault and therefore you're the outcast. You're the outliner. Now what will be used to pressure God's people during this time? Notice what the Bible says in Luke 21 verse 16. The Bible says this, and you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. In other words, this power is going to be so abusive that it will pit potential friends and family members against you. Your own close social circle will be placed against you so that you can submit to this abusive power. You know, we often say, why do people follow Nazi Germany so easily? How can Germany, a sophisticated nation, classical Baroque music, beautiful architecture, beautiful art, leader in technology, the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation. How can they adhere to that of the abusive power in Nazi Germany? Well, when you're made an outliner, you're made an outcast, when your basic needs are deprived, and then you're pitted family against each other, that's a lot of pressure. And unless you are adhering to God's Holy Spirit in these last days, it will be difficult for you not to submit to the pressure that this church-state system will give upon us. So what else does this lamb-like beast do to cause people to worship the beast? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 17. The Bible says this, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In other words, if you don't worship the way we worship, your basic needs will be deprived. You could take away your social circle, but if you take away your food and your basic physical care, that's when it's deep. Your true character is revealed when your basic needs are deprived. We could say happy Sabbath, we could be happy people all we want when things are going well, but it's adversity that reveals character. It reveals who we truly are. And so God is letting this happen 
because he believes that we will demonstrate his character in the darkest moments of earth's history. Why? Because we have surrendered completely to God. God's Holy Spirit is fully dwelling upon us, and we will perfectly reflect the character of God in a period of persecution because he trusts us that much. He loves us that much because trust is connected with love. If you don't love somebody, you don't, you don't trust somebody. Is that correct? And God loves us so much, he believes in us. He has given us adequate provision for us to be victorious during this time. And so in our individual trials that we go through, in the individual struggles that we go through, perhaps you're going through financial difficulty. Perhaps you're going through a situation where your boss is unfair to you, unjustly. God is preparing you for this time. God is developing a character where we know that when we realize that we're broken people in need of Jesus, that's when Jesus will truly work in our lives. You see, God is going to use the most vulnerable and broken in the last days to finish his work. He's going to use you and I. So there is much hope for you and I because we all of us are broken. And so, what does the enemy use to bring forth spiritual abuse among God's people? Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 7 to 9. The Bible says this. Matthew 24, verse 7 to 9. For a nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. The Bible says this. All these are the beginning of... Sorrows. You know what that sorrows mean in original Greek? Birth pains. Contractions. So in other words, all these famines, pestilence, and earthquakes will be coming more and more frequently as Jesus is about to come. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So let's see the sequence. There shall be famines. What do famines cause? Starvation, hunger, our basic needs. More people will be hungry. What are pestilences? Diseases, more people will be sick. What do earthquakes destroy? It's our homes, where we stay. So more people will be hungry, more people will be sick, and more people will be homeless. And when you deprive all of those things, what will people want? Well, people want solution to their problems. And so when these natural disasters become more and more pronounced, people will be desperate and people will be ready to hear any solution that comes from the government. In fact, notice what Great Congress, page 590, inspiration says this. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. And that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. So these natural disasters, these hunger, these, all these things that have been taken away from the basic needs of the people, Satan's going to say, you know why this is happening? It's because those commandment-keeping people over there that keep the Sabbath, they're not adhering to our new world order. And therefore, it's there at fault. But what is the principles of God? Notice what inspiration says in Great Conference, page 591, paragraph 2. God never forces the will or the conscience, but Satan's constant resort to gain control of those whom he cannot otherwise seduce is, in, is compulsion by cruelty. In other words, Satan's first default is to seduce us with temptation. But if temptation does not work, what does he do? Compulsion by cruelty to deprive our basic needs. Through fear or force, he endeavors to rule the conscience and to secure homage to himself. To accomplish this, he works through both religious and secular authorities, moving them to the enforcement of human laws in defiance of the law of God. And we're seeing there snapshots of that happening here today. The enemy is seeking, if he can't seduce us, then he's going to seek to force us. And you know what the beautiful thing about God is? God does not want us to obey 
his commandments because we have to. He wants us to obey his commandments because we want to. You see the difference? If you have to, you're going to fail. But if you want to, and it's because of your choice and your love, it's going to endure. And so what motive we have to ask ourselves, why are we a Christian? Why are we following God? Is it because we have to? Or is it because we want to? Because that want to is love. And the Bible says that love beareth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. And that is the love that will have us ready for the second coming. Because we want to, not because we have to. And so, what is the motive behind the people who are persecuting God's people? Very interesting. What was the motive? John 16, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says this. These things I have spoken unto you, that you shall not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. So the motive behind many people in this persecuting power is that they believe that they're doing God's will. Because they have a misunderstanding and a misperception of the character of God. That God is not a God of force, but God is a God of love. He's seeking to attract us because love will awakeneth love, not seeking to force and compel us. And so notice what volume 9 of the testimonies, page 229, paragraph 2 says. Notice what inspiration says. Through innocent of wrongdoing, the servants of God will be given over to suffer humiliation and abuse at the hands of those who, inspired by Satan, are filled with envy and religious bigotry. So the reason why God pours out his wrath to those that worship the beast is this. You are supporting a church-state system that seeks to kill and persecute vulnerable, innocent people. You know what a snapshot of a church-state system is that is of a different religion? ISIS. ISIS is a religious government power, is it not? It's a political and it's a religious power. And we see the persecuting nature of ISIS and the terrible things that they do. And no one in this world could deny that they do bad things and they deserve the wrath of God. Isn't that correct? But the worst thing is that a Christian power is going to come on the scene that will be a church-state system worse than ISIS. And at that time, God will hold that power accountable. And so they think that they're doing God's work. They have some sort of power or advantage of the individual that they are abusing. Now, let me make this personal. When I started this work, when at the age of 25, I was involved with very evangelistic ministries and done some Bible work and worked in the evangelistic series. And through these experiences, I've discovered that in my actions in dealing with others and also in the actions of some spiritual leadership that this papal persecuting power is within us because it's human nature. Because human nature, power corrupts. You know, the Bible also says that in John 16 that they thought that they were doing God's will by persecuting them. And oftentimes, when we are spiritually abusive, we don't intend to do something bad. We think that we are doing them a service by showing them their sins without showing any redemption. I'll give you an example. There was a ministry that was very successful in doing evangelistic series in inner cities. In fact, this evangelist at one time baptized more people than Mark Finley in the NAD in the 1990s. He was a preacher that preached with great power. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. I'm not mentioning the name. He was a former gang member. He had a powerful testimony. And he had a bunch of young people that he inspired in his ministry. So you had a bunch of young people that were former gang members, shiny black shoes. They had black suits. They had nice tie. They had 
crisp white dress shirts. All the women wore long skirts. It was a sight to behold. They looked disciplined and in order. But if you don't do anything to the evangelist's liking or his preferences, it's not because of principle, but let me emphasize preferences, then you would be made an outcast. In fact, this pastor would be so controlling that he would determine which Bible workers would date which Bible worker. And if the Bible worker liked each other and he didn't like the couple, he would make sure that they break up or else he would tell them to go home. And a lot of these Bible workers were dependent upon him for sustenance because he provided them with housing and food. And many of them were newly baptized in the Seventh Avenue Church, so they have nowhere else to go. So they were very dependent upon him, so he had a lot of power. So he would also preach that we should not go to universities or colleges, that the ministry that they have for them is for them to be with him. Now, going to university, there are bad things about secular universities, yes, but I believe it's, a, it's based upon people's choice. If you could be called a Daniel and a three Hebrew boys to go to secular university to stand for God, or God may be calling you somewhere else. That is the choice of the individual. But that choice was deprived. He would weaponize the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. In other words, if he did not like what that Bible worker or, or a church member is doing, the next sermon, he would rebuke them in the pulpit. In fact, it would get so bad that you have Bible workers feeding information to each other and rat each other out. And so the next sermon, he would have material for him to rebuke that person. In other words, weaponizing the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Weaponizing is this. No room for redemption. No room for choice. Everything is forced upon by that individual. He baptized thousands of people. I've seen him do an appeal where 200 people came up for baptism. But at the end of the day, his principles saw his marriage to be dissolved, and many lives were destroyed because of his influence. In fact, there was one time where I remember he came to me. He said, Brother Chung, God told me that you are to go with me to Michigan for an evangelistic series. It's interesting, God didn't tell me that. You see, people with power and authority is very dangerous because we can really make an impression on young people. When someone that preaches with power and authority says, God told me to tell you, that could be very, very, very convincing. And some of these principles I've witnessed, and we need to give our young people and our church members, and even as me as a teacher to my students, more leeway for them to make the choice the right way or the wrong way. And if they make the choice the wrong way, then we could give them grace and teach them the forgiving redemption of Jesus. And when these principles are still hold on to us, because oftentimes we have a lot of corporate America in our hearts, we treat people like statistics rather than we treat people like people, that is a trap that many of us have. And that's why I hate it when we say, well, this ministry is measured by baptisms. Well, this ministry is great because it has X amount of Bible studies and baptisms. I've seen all of that. But I saw what happened behind the scenes. At the end of the day, you know what impresses me about a minister or a spiritual authority figure? It doesn't matter how many baptisms he has. It doesn't matter if he has meetings where he has thousands of people that come and follow him. It doesn't matter how many people that follow him on social media. What matters to me is how he treats his wife and how he treats his children. That's a true measure of how he is as a Christian. And so seeing that and seeing this, and, you know, I fell victim in my early days of ministry. I would rebuke people without giving anybody hope. And as I realized that I was similar to my pastor that I once was under. In the last few years, I have made it my point to apologize to people for my actions. You know, oftentimes, we want the best for people, but we use a methodology that's wrong. We use a methodology of shaming and fear and coercion, not because we want to, because we want them to be saved, but we go with the wrong motive. 
we go with the wrong methodology. Because God isn't a God of force, but God is a God of love. And so, this spirit, God is calling us to overcome. How we parent our children, how I deal with students in the classroom, how we run our Bible colleges, how we deal with young people in our programs, our various literature evangelism programs, our evangelistic meetings, all of these things, it has revealed to me how much I need to check myself because when you have power and authority and the ability to punish, how much more we must be connected to how God is patient, God is love, the Lord is willing not that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I have students that don't know Jesus, many. Many of them are from communist countries, international students. The only Jesus that they will see is how I deal with them in the classroom, how I treat them when they turn in late work, how I treat them when they are asking for a retake on the test. And so it made me cognizant that I, with this power and authority, must treat them how Jesus treats me. And so what crime is the power of this beast's power ultimately charged with? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 18, verse 24. Revelation 18, verse 24. The Bible says this, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So in other words, this church state power was charged with the blood of the prophets and the saints and destruction of the innocent. That's what makes the beast power the beast power. That should be punished by God. But, you know, there was one that endured spiritual abuse in our behalf. And because he endured spiritual abuse, we could get healings from spiritual abuse. Notice what the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 3. The Bible says this. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus was spiritually abused by the Pharisees. The Pharisees sought to abuse Jesus and taking away his basic needs when he was arrested at that time near Calvary. The Pharisees sought to do everything they can to compel against Jesus' conscience, and Jesus understands the persecuted. Jesus identifies with the abuse. And because he identifies and he endured what we endured, notice what hope we have. Notice the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You know what's powerful about Jesus? He made himself vulnerable for spiritual abuse so that he could give us healing and restoration when we endure spiritual abuse in these last days. He gave adequate provision for us to be prepared for the persecution to come because what he went through, he understands, he identifies, and he will give us that grace for us to overcome in these last days. In this period of great spiritual abuse, what will God's people demonstrate? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Question. Is patience reaction to a good situation or an unfavorable situation? Unfavorable situation. That reveals patience. You can't have patience when things are going good because you want that to last forever. Patience is a reaction to something that is not favorable to you. And God's people will demonstrate patience in the midst of this church-state abusive system. Why? Because they keep the commands of God and have the faith of Jesus. And how do God's commandment keepers keep the law? Those are the Bible says in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out how much? Casts out all fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in him. We love him because he first loved us. Love awakeneth love. When we see that Jesus made himself vulnerable for persecution in our behalf, he understands what we'll go through in these last days. 
We meditate the closing scenes of Jesus on the cross. That love wakeneth love. And that love will allow us to endure at the end. Love hopeth all things, endureth all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, you know that is the third angel's message in action. Here are the patience of the saints. What is patience? Love. And we can only have love and endurance when we love him because he first loved us. And how will God's commandment keepers demonstrate keeping the commandments? Notice the Bible says in Romans 13.10, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You know, we focus on the seal of God and the fourth commandment, and that is important in the last days. But the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 10, if you break one commandment, you break them all. What determines our salvation, what determines our demonstration of the character of God is how we treat one another in a period of persecution. We are to show the difference between how Babylon treats people and how God's kingdom treats people. And notice what inspiration says in Patriarchs and the Prophets, page 34, paragraph 3. God desires from all his creatures the service of love, service that springs from the appreciation of his character. He takes no pleasure in a forced obedience. Is the mark of the beast forced obedience? Yes. And to all he grants freedom of will that they may render him voluntary service. Not because we have to, but because we want to. That's what God desires us to have. And so what will happen to this abusive system, this abusive church-state system? Notice notice what the Bible says in Revelation 19, verse 2. The Bible says this. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and avenged the blood of the servants at her hand. The reason why God reserves his wrath is because the system of church and state is an abusive system of forced worship and those who willingly align themselves to this system is culpable of murder and abuse and persecution. What makes the mark of the beast the mark of the beast is this. You're supporting a system that's killing God's people. And that's why you receive the wrath of God. By adhering to the false day of worship and abusing and persecuting God's faithful people, they will receive the wrath of God. And it gives us hope. Maybe some of you have been abused by an authority figure. Maybe some of you have gone through an unfair situation. God sees all of that. God is there for us that are vulnerable. God is there for us that are hurting. And ultimately, God is a righteous judge that will make things right. He will make all things beautiful in this time. And what will God do for those that are abused? Notice the Bible says in Ezekiel 34, verse 16. The Bible says this. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. In other words, those that have abused, those that are vulnerable, those that have been going through unfair situations, God will bind up, God will heal the broken, and God will judge the abuser. God will make things right. The whole Adventist message is a message of justice and a message of love. It is a message to the oppressed and a message to the persecuted that God will make things right. Our whole system, our government system, our political system, our school system, Our university system is based and predicated upon forced conformity of forced obedience. In these last days, when these institutions become more and more intolerant, God is desiring us to show the alternative. Love, which is a choice and not by force. It's election time in this great controversy. 
two candidates that are vying for supremacy in the world, Satan and Jesus. Each and every individual has a vote of who they want in office. And we, as God's people, as ambassadors of God's kingdom, are called to demonstrate the principles of love. God is designed for this to happen these last days. So what will happen to the abusers within this abusive system? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. The Bible says this, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide from us, from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. So those in power in the last days, the kings of the earth, the great men, and the mighty men, those abusers of the church-state system, what's going to happen to them? When Jesus comes, they're going to say for the rocks and the dens and the mountains to fall on us. The abusers will get justice. In fact, you know the rock that falls upon the image in Daniel chapter 2? Yes? This is the literal rock that's falling upon the abusers because that image of Daniel chapter 2 of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and pagan and papal Rome, you know what ties those kingdoms together? They're all kingdoms of force and oppression that God destroys with his kingdom. And so God will destroy the abusive system. And what will God's people experience who endured spiritual abuse in the last days? Notice the Bible says in Revelation 7 verse 14. The Bible says this. And he said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Victory is assured for those that go through the final crisis. You know, oftentimes when we think about the National Sunday Law, oftentimes we think about the final crisis, we feel like we're not ready. We feel like I have to get this right, and I have to get this right, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And we often feel that we're not prepared. But when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you accept and believe that Jesus forgives and forget your sins, at that moment, you are ready for that crisis. Victory is assured when we believe that Jesus forgives and forgets our sins. The whole point of the sanctuary the cleansing of the sanctuary is this. Jesus is seeking to blot out the records of our sins. He's seeking to forgive and forget our sins. And once we believe that Jesus forgives and forgets our sins, we will gain the victory of our sins because we rest upon that Jesus is loving and merciful and forgive our sins. That love awakens love and we will obey his commandments because we believe wholeheartedly of God's forgiving grace in our lives. Love awakens love. And so, what will Jesus give those that go through this tribulation? Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 7, verse 16. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The weeping that we do now the hurt and pain that we have from anything that we're going through at this time, the unjust situations that we may be enduring, either from the legal system, either from our workplace, either from relations with one another, God will one day wipe those tears from our eyes. He will make all these things beautiful in his time. This is the God that I serve. This is the God that I rest my hope in. A God that will not seek to condemn and cast us out. A God is making every provision for us to be victorious in the darkest hours of earth's history because he loves us that much. And the Bible says this in Revelation 15, verse 2. This is a prophecy for you and I. We need to personalize this prophecy in order for us to have the assurance that we will make in these last days. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gone the victory. That's a prophecy of you and I. We could gain the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark 
over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they will sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Victory is assured for us in the sea of glass. This is a prophecy that you and I can participate in. Because God has seen you and I to be part of this prophecy. We can gain victory over the beast and his principles. The principles of forced worship, of coercion, of seeking to manipulate and spiritually abuse people. His image, his mark, we can gain that victory. And sing the song of Moses, a song of deliverance from oppression, from the slavery of sin. And the song of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sins of the world, that endure the cross, that despises the shame, but now is set down in the right hand of the throne of God. And God is seeking for us to demonstrate his principles in these last days. You see, one of the beautiful last calls of mercy is the loud cry in Revelation 18. The Bible says in Revelation 18, verse 1 through 4, that there are people within the abusive church system of Babylon, and the Bible says to come out of her, my people. So there are people in this abusive system. There are people that are spiritual abusers in the last days that we as Adventists are called to call out to join the remnant fold. But in order for us to deliver this message, we must overcome the abusive tendencies of human nature through the power of God. Saul was a spiritual abuser and became Paul when he learned the message of what's called justification by faith, that Jesus forgives and forgets our sins. The last message of mercy according to the spirit of prophecy is the message of Jones and Wagner that Jesus is seeking to forgive and forget our sins. What is the papacy claiming? That you can only have your sins forgiven by adhering to our church-state system. So in order for us to give the loud cry, we are to say to the spiritual abusers that Jesus is seeking to forgive you and to cleanse you and to forgive and forget our sins. And when the loud cry of the third angel comes forth, there will be a people within the abusive system of Babylon that will join commandment-keeping followers of God. And God has called us to do this. God has called us to study more of the principles of God. To study that God's way is higher than our ways. That we must trust the process of people making choices for, of their own. And even though those conclusions of their choices may end up in a bad way, we still gave them that freedom of choice just like God gives us that freedom today. So today, where are you at here today in your heart? Have you identified elements of your heart here today that you have adhered to that abusive church-state system? Has power corrupted your heart today? There is hope. Just like David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, so too Jesus can give us a clean heart today. And we could have a new heart of the law written in our minds and hearts of loving your neighbors as yourself. God is seeking to do that for you and I so that we could perfectly reflect the character of Jesus in these last days. Christ Object Lessons, page 69, says that when the character of God is perfectly reproduced in his people, then Christ will come to his people and bring him as his own. In order for us to reflect his character, we must reflect how we treat one another in a way that Jesus treated us. And God is calling us to reflect his character. And ask God to root out the evil tendencies of our heart to use power to corrupt and abuse. And God is desiring us to reflect fully his character in these last days. Our Father and God in heaven, Father, we thank you that your government is not of force and compulsion, but one of love and choice and free will. We thank you, Lord, for giving us religious liberty. 
And Father, help us extend religious liberty in everything that we do for others. And so, Father, here today, I ask that you continually root out the tendency for power and control that is in my sinful heart as a teacher in my classroom and as I deal with one another. And so, Father, we just ask that you do something special in our lives today to clean our hearts. And brothers and sisters, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there someone today say, Father, today, help me to root out the corrupting system of power in my heart. Help me to perfectly reflect your character day by day, moment by moment. And if I fail today, may I realize that I could come to you to gain forgiveness and to be renewed to your image day by day as long as I ask for forgiveness. If that's your desire to say, Father, today, help me to root out these abusive tendencies in my heart so that I could day by day reflect your character. If that's your desire, I simply ask that we kneel for that experience. If that's your desire. Holy Father, I am kneeling because this message is meant for me as a person of authority in my classroom. Father, help me to reflect the character of Jesus in my classroom. Help me not to abuse my power, but to show power of grace and redemption and love to my students. And Father, we are kneeling because either we have been abusers or we've been abused by the church-state system by how we treat one another. So Father, I ask for healing and restoration for each and every one of us that are kneeling. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. May we continue to strive to love you with all our hearts, mind, and soul. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you are blessed by this presentation from Revelation of Hope Ministries. Revelation of Hope Ministries is a faith-based, nonprofit, worldwide evangelistic ministry whose mission is to increase the population of heaven by sharing the hope, health, and harmony of heaven in all the world. This ministry depends upon the prayers and partnership of supporters like you. We ask that you please prayerfully consider partnering with us to take the message of Christ into all the world in this generation. For more information about this ministry or to invite Revelation of Hope Ministries to your church or event, please visit our website at revelationofhopeministries.com That's revelationofhopeministries.com Or call us at 1-844-Y-HOPE That's 1-844-W-H-Y-H-O-P-E Aloha and Maranatha